0: if you become a Patreon supporter. You'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. I would also like to recommend Stitcher Premium if you're a fan of podcasts. If you like true crime or crime fiction, there are loads of podcasts out there for you, and with Stitcher Premium you can listen to the exclusive archives from Criminology or bonus episodes from True Crime Garage. You can also listen ad-free to episodes of your favorite podcasts. I've subscribed and for only $4.99 a month, it's nice to have ad-free entertainment. Just go to stitcher.com premium and use the promo code Cafe. that's one word, all caps to try it out. Absolutely free for a month.
1: Hi, everyone. This week, my guest is the author of two novels, the latest of which is North and Central. He has an MFA in fiction, and along with being a writer, he's been an actor, singer, teacher, bartender, mailroom clerk, and washer of soap molds. (laughs) In other words, he has the background and life experience for a hard-boiled crime writer, as far as I'm concerned. My guest today is Bob Hartley. Hi, Bob. It's great to have you on. Thank you for being here.
2: Well, oh, thanks. Thanks for having me on.
1: Well, I'm glad to do it. Um, I have to agree with one author's assessment of your writing, and I have to quote this guy. Bob Hartley nails late 70s blue-collar Chicago with jobs going away, bills coming due, and cops you can't tell from the robbers. That is so, that just nails it right there. I just think it's perfect. Um, It's an absolutely fantastic book, and I don't say that lightly. (laughs) I don't say that to everybody. Um, Along with your experiences as a bartender, what made you decide to write North and Central?
2: Well, I, I grew up on the far west side of Chicago, and uh, that was the world that I grew up w- within. And uh, it's it's the the neighborhood actually is called Austin. It's uh, up until a few years ago it was the largest neighborhood in Chicago. But if you go to Chicago, none of the, none of the tourists go there. Um, it's uh, basically uh, it was a working class neighborhood. In my childhood, up until the point, uh, uh, I should say, a working class, uh, white working class neighborhood, until uh, about till the time I was about fourteen, and then it uh, became an African American working class neighborhood uh, within the next few years. And uh, during that time, there was a lot of economic turmoil going on in the seventies, and uh, I witnessed it. So. And uh, a lot of racial turmoil as well, and um, I witnessed all of that, and uh, that has uh, put a mark on me. That uh, I have a, I have difficulty writing about anything else. Um, the stories I've written, the two novels I've written, <clears throat> all seem to gravitate towards uh, like the '60s, '70s. Uh, I might write another one that's set in the '80s. Uh, I, because i can't find anything that is as um i don't know poignant to even to what's going on now the the book although you know i'm I'm certainly glad that it's it's looked upon as a as a noir novel that it's uh you know captures that time and so forth but uh i think of it as a metaphor for the system itself so what uh, actually a lot of what we're experiencing right now a lot of um Low uh, low paying jobs, a lot of people without any uh, real uh, any well without a lot of hope to be honest with you, um, a lot of economic insecurity, um, you know, and it it, it, it it's, I, I, what I try to do is capture this this one event going on this one few months in which um, all of it's coming down on top of them you know, and they, they really can't, uh, human beings like to think they're in control. But in reality, as we found out recently, um, you're not in control. And so we scramble to find some kind of control when we really don't have it. And uh, hence people going out and trying to empty the stores of toilet paper anyway <laughs> uh you know so we're, we're constantly trying to do that but in in reality uh, sometimes the situation you have no control
1: and that that's what they so
2: find out here yeah
1: that's yes, absolutely true um i think that um your story is representative not just of chicago but of Urban areas and the country in general.
2: Right, uh, that's, uh, well, that's At great. various
1: levels. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah.
2: that's great because it's that's um, you know uh, what I was attempting to do. You know, it's not just about those people of those time those that time. It's representative of what's going on with millions of people right now. So, For
1: sure. Yeah. I mean, I live in Maryland, and the first thing that comes to my mind is Baltimore. Oh sure. D. I mean, Baltimore and D.C. have both struggled with huge urban issues. And, of course, you see that in TV and shows like Homicide, The Wire, that kind of thing. Oh,
2: right, right, exactly.
1: But um, but the characters in your book are so well-drawn and unique. Um, How many of them were based, say, loosely or otherwise, on real people?
2: They're all composite characters. So uh, none of them are exactly the same person. But I did know people similar to those people. And what I try to do is uh, cobble them together and make them even more interesting by putting them together, you know? Um, <laughs> so, uh, and that's what I attempted to do. And uh, if they ring true, that's very good because uh, they are fictional. None of them really existed. So, but uh, they ring true it, it, just you asking that question tells me something that they did so that's great
1: for sure i mean they have all these wonderful little quirks and you can tell all of them apart you they all have a certain kind of trait or a look to them that mm-hmm. makes them distinct
2: that's great and i
1: think when you can do that with a lot of characters that's a real skill yeah there was of, of uh, a good writer
2: there's a chicago writer nelson Algren, and um I think what he tried to do was, uh, which he was like, he he he's uh, well, he's long gone now, but uh, he was highly influential with me because he, uh, when I read his books, I saw somebody who was looking at a neighborhood and actually writing about people who aren't represented in, in uh, fiction very often and um, captured it very well, and that's one of his. Um, traits was that he was able to look at all these characters and even the minor character if you were to follow that character out the door you would be experiencing a, a, a story that might just be as compelling as the one you're reading which is that's tough to do and uh, Algren did it very well if if you're saying that that uh, I've come close to it that's great you know because that's what I'm looking for.
1: Well now you've got me interested in reading more in Nelson Algren. Oh
2: <laughs> Neon Wilderness. Start there, and you'll Ooh, see the short okay. yeah the short stories of Neon Wilderness. Um, he was unbelievable. He was an unbelievably great writer.
1: That's fantastic to know. Um, let's see, the bar you write about has so many unique characters. Okay, and um, do you write individual bios for each of them, or do you just make yeah. it up as you go? How, how do you handle keeping well, everything straight?
2: Well. Um, you know, first, I, you know, I'll do a draft and what I would do is I'd, I'd write every day. So write every mm-hmm. day, write part of it every day. But um, as far as characterization goes, uh, I was given a, a uh, suggestion a long, very long time ago. And um, it, it was this. It's not important for the reader to know what the character is doing 24 hours a day it's a it's important for the writer to know so if you were to ask me for example what the main character of north and central is doing right now i could tell you okay so in his typical day um the same is true of all the characters you know you have to know them so well and even description of uh, what they're wearing um what, it's as an exercise and actually to um find the characters I would describe them from head to toe but then again the 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 reader doesn't have to know what they wear head to toe you have to know as the writer so and then you choose what is the most poignant thing what is what gives you the most bang for the buck um, to tell you about that place and those people and another interesting thing that I was given a suggestion was that that minor characters as supporting characters are part of the setting so the way they're described tells you something about the place as well. So you, what I'm trying to do anyway is to try to uh, get as much from a character as possible as far as conveying the story. And so a minor, minor supporting character is part of the setting, uh, tells you about the place. Well, what does it tell you about the place, well, you know, how, what they're wearing, you know, and, and, how, and, and the speech, the dialogue itself, and so forth, tells you something about the place too. It's, um, so that's basically what I did. That's, that's how I work.
1: The dialogue is also very authentic. Oh, thank you. I I thought, um, let's see. I understand that you are involved in adapting the material to uh, a stage play.
2: Yeah. Uh, shortly, well, probably about a year after the, the book was, uh, was out, um, this gentleman, uh, Ed Blatchford, was his na- is his name, and he uh, he was a co-founder of American Blues Theater in Chicago. It's a very old theater company; it goes back to the '80s. And he he got a hold of me on Facebook, and he said, "You know, I'm I'm Ed Blatchford, and so forth. You know, American Blues Theater, and are you interested in in um, writing this as a play?" And I said. Yes, I am, and especially the, because it was a Chicago Theater Company, it didn't start. It sort of didn't work out with uh, American Blues Theater. They're going in a different direction, but with Ed, it did. So Ed and I and another gentleman uh, were working on it, and it's a different animal. I can tell you that right now. It's, it's <laughs> a very different thing, and it's going to be different than the book if it ever is produced. And um, this has been going on for a while now. It's a few years, so it's a uh, it's a whole different challenge. I've never I've never written a play before, so it's it's they're they're very different. patient with me. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. great.
1: Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I understand completely because my first novel was optioned for oh. by a movie producer.
2: Oh, I see. And she
1: asked me to write the screenplay. I'm like me? Yeah. yeah. And the funny thing is that I had written a screenplay previously, two of right. them actually. Oh wow. Well. Not that I'm a professional at this point right. in terms of sales, but right. it's just, it is very, very different now that I'm getting into the craft of screenwriting. It's amazing yeah. how different it is.
2: It's <laughs> very, yeah, it's very similar
1: different, yeah. but
2: different. Right, right. Um, similar but different. Yeah.
1: um Let's see. Now, I was going to talk about the differences between the two, and uh, I think we already have. I guess, in a sense, uh, is it hard to find money to produce stage plays these days? Uh,
2: I I would say yes. That's not my it, actually. We we haven't really been uh, worried about that as much as uh, writing a good play.
1: Simply writing. A good I play, think yeah? though that it
2: is in in respect to. Um, this would be an ensemble piece and it would be at least 10 characters to make it, uh, to, to capture the place. And that makes it difficult uh, because obviously you have to pay 10 actors, you, you know, and, and, um, and also you're, you're looking for an ensemble theater company and that's difficult. Fortunately, Ed, uh, had a friend of his that that uh does have an ensemble theater company he's looking at it now he's a professional writer more than i as far as writing for television and for film and for theater so he's looking at it now he'll jump in and, and before it's over we'll have four or five people involved and uh, and hopefully we'll have something good by the end and if it's produced that's great uh i i if it's not, that's okay too. It takes a very just like getting a publisher. It takes a very very long time, and the experience of writing a play has helped me a great deal. You know, so yes. um, you know, it's a, I don't worry about whether it's going to be produced or not. I do want to produce. I, I do want to write something that's good. That's basically always been my thing. I I never worried about if I had a publisher or not before I wrote a book, you know, so. That's and, good. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I don't care if it's, it. this is a difficult thing is I don't care if it's commercial or not. I don't care if, you know, I, I really don't. I care if it's a good story. And often, those two things don't mesh. I mean, so I've, you know, the first book I wrote, it took 14 years to get somebody to publish it. This book, it took about three. So, you know, I mean, I had, so it's, it's, and, and again, the publisher of this book is an independent publisher out of Chicago. You know, it's not a major publisher. So, except when it gets published, then every, it, every, every, every review it's gotten has said that it's a, it's a very good book. So, and the first one too. And so it's, it's, it's very interesting because, well, then why couldn't I get an agent? Why couldn't I get a, uh, you know, why couldn't I get a, if so that tells you something about the publishing industry then, right? It's not about, be and I explain <laughs> that to people, you know, like somebody say, well, Bob, how did you get published? And I'll say, I don't know. I sent it to everybody I knew. Finally, somebody said yes, and then we had it published. And, but uh, there is no rhyme or reason, I think, to it, except that they're looking for something that can make money. And you know, it's a business I understand. Of
1: course. So you of can't course. get really
2: bitter. I'm not bitter about it. And I expect it actually. So, you know. So I'm very happy actually about it. That's what great. Heard. Yeah, I've I've been able to write what I wanted to write. That's great.
1: I think that's really the bottom line. How good do you how well do you write? You know? yes. I
2: mean, yes. And you I know, get a little
1: tired as I'm a self published author at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I get a little tired of hearing all of this, you gotta come out with three five, ten books a year to keep your readers interested. What? I'm like, no, that's, no, no I'm not that, doing that.
2: <laughs> no, no I, I don't think that's, uh, that is, uh, you know, that kind of mass production attitude is a problem because, you know, if you look at great writers, great novels and so forth, they take years to produce that many books. To say that you're going to come out with three, five books a year, That's that to me is then, then what are you, what are you writing and why are you writing it? So, and that's difficult. I mean, because I know there are people who make their living from writing and I don't, I mean, I have a job and that's how I make my living. Um, So I, I understand, you know, and then there are, there are people though who make their living from writing and they feel like they have to produce that kind of material. For me, it's, you know, it's, it's counterproductive for me, not not for, I understand though, if you have to make a living, that's a different story, but I don't think the quality of the writing is going to be there. It just can't be unless you're a genius. I, don't I mean, if you're <laughs> don't a genius, so. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, if you're a genius, you can churn out that many books a year, but I don't see how anybody could do it. You know, other than that.
1: Or you take amphetamines and right, never, yeah. ever get any sleep.
2: Yeah, or exactly. Or you have a yeah. ghost writer, a <laughs> <Yeah, and then, laughs> team then, then,
1: of ghost writers.
2: Oh, yeah, there are people with ghostwriters, and then, what do you, uh, oh, my God, if you're taking amphetamines, what are you writing them to? (laughs) But anyway, um, but I understand. I understand why people do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I just don't agree with it. It's just, Mm -mm. it's like you're pushing yourself a little too hard and sacrificing some quality there. Oh, definitely. The process. Sure. That's my main concern. Sure. Um, Even though I have a funny feeling I know the answer, I'm going to ask anyway. (laughs) White
2: Sox or Cubs? Oh, well, now that's an interesting story. That's ah. you think that would that would be a uh, a quick quick answer, Uh-oh. but it's <laughs> not. And so oh my I'm going to oh eat. Gosh. I'm going to eat some time up here. Um, <laughs> if you're from the south side, you are a Sox fan, White Sox fan. If you are from the north side, you are a Cubs fan. But if you're from the west side. As, like my father was a White Sox fan, my brother is a Cubs fan, my friend is a White Sox fan. I am a Cubs fan,
1: oh, wow. or was.
2: So uh, the 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 West Side is a little murky there. You know, <laughs> it's not as it's not as straightforward. So uh, that it, you thought that was going to be a, a a pretty straightforward answer, but it's not, <laughs> which it's makes the of... West Side. Makes the west side even more interesting. It's even this for is
1: really interesting. It sounds like the Civil War or something. Like you're in like the border state area. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah, there, <laughs> territories. That, that whole thing is really interesting because uh, uh, the the old Chicago Cardinals, which was a football team, was on the in the NFL, and they were they they played in Comiskey Park, which was on the south side. Well, the Bears played in Wrigley Field, which was on the north side. So the south side people were Cardinals fans. And up until about 10, 15 years ago, you could still find Cardinals fans on the South side, elderly gentlemen and ladies who uh, who were Cardinals fans rather than Bears fans because of that. So hmm. yes, yes, the lines are drawn. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: How very interesting.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I'm always kind of rooting for the Cubs a little bit. (laughs) Even though I'm not from Chicago and I am from New York.
2: Oh there you go.
1: I've been a lifelong Met fan.
2: (laughs) sure. Well I resent the Mets. Because in (laughs) nineteen yeah in nineteen sixty nine they dashed my dreams.
1: Yeah and the Red Sox.
2: Yes, but the the Red
1: Sox in eighty six.
2: I can still I can I can name everybody the main players on the Cubs team from nineteen sixty nine.
1: Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. I believe Baltimore was also beaten.
2: Probably. But yeah. the Cubs, how could, how?
1: Why? I'm so sorry. But, no,
2: it's okay. It's, <laughs> but no, they no, were such sorry. a
1: terrible team for so long. I yeah, was no. felt mm. sorry for them.
2: <laughs> yeah. Let's let's just move on, Debbie. Let's move uh, <laughs> on. I'm <with> baseball. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting bitter again. So.
1: oh no no we <laughs> can't have that um, let's see so Nelson Algren I assume would be right. one of the authors who inspired mm-hmm. you most are there oh, any sure.
2: others? yeah uh, uh, Hubert Selby uh, he wrote um, Last Exit to Brooklyn uh, I think ooh, there's, there's someone else oh well uh, Southern Writers you know Faulkner but that's you know everybody says Faulkner <laughs> uh, uh oh who wrote uh Carson McCullers. Carson McCullers. Ooh, yeah. Oh, yes. Carson McCullers. <laughs> oh yeah, great. And she's intense. Oh yeah, intense, but great. Really, really interesting stories, you know. Captures a place again, you know, not everybody's perfect or, you know, yeah. Average people going Going, yeah,
1: definitely. You know, in, in
2: very difficult situations, you know, sounds familiar to me. Anyway, so, um, yeah, I think, but, uh, oh, and then um, Farrell, he wrote the Studs Lonigan trilogy for uh, Chicago, and that's, again, it's, it captures the neighborhood. And, um, you know, I've been compared to him, I guess, which is, I've been compared to Aldrin and, and, and Farrell in that kind of traditional, that tradition of Chicago writing. Um, which is, a, that's really good company to be in, Algern, especially. Algren was unbelievable. He, he, it's amazing that people don't know who he is. He, he wrote, he won the first National Book Award. He, wow. Uh, yeah, he was, yes, he, yeah, he did. And, uh, three of his, uh, no, I'm sorry, two of his books were made into films, um, But during the '50s, uh, because he was he was a socialist, uh, and during the '50s, uh, during the Red Scare, he was pretty much uh, suppressed. Oh my gosh! Yeah, he he, yeah, like uh, Hemingway called him the second best writer in America, referring to himself obviously, (laughs) but he did. He said the first
1: was.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and he was so he was widely read, and and he and he was praised. And, uh, he's just disappeared, but, um, there may, there may be some resurgence there because again, he, he, he wrote about this Polish neighborhood, um, near Northwest side of Chicago and captured the people there. He wrote about the bars and the, and the drug addiction and the gangs and so forth. And, uh, it was, uh, and he really exposed, like he, he was unbelievable. He was mugged one time and he, um, he, got, he he was given a, a a pass to go to a lineup a police lineup to 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 identify his mugger he didn't and uh but he kept the pass so he would go to police lineups and just go to them to watch them and he would uh he he would report he would use those in his stories and so forth you know he wrote a story i think the captain has bad dreams and it's about this police captain and these lineups and it's mm-hmm. just unbelievably great stories I mean, so.
1: interesting was he the author of Man with the Golden
2: Arm? Right. Yeah, he hated I, that I read movie.
1: That a long time yeah. ago. I he hated the movie. The movie. He, he hated it. He huh?
2: Hated the movie. Yeah. Interesting.
1: He was. Uh, I did see it a while back.
2: Yeah. He was. He said he. I was paid a thousand dollars a week to come out to California to work on it. I came out on a Monday. I was gone by Wednesday. Yeah. To paraphrase, like he, it was Otto Preminger, the director. Uh, to paraphrase, uh, Auger, I'm, I'm probably not going to get the, the quote correct. Uh, correct, but anyway, uh, uh, um, the director asked him, "Oh, how can you live amongst all those uh, prostitutes and drug addicts and criminals?" And uh, Algren <laughs> said, "I was going to ask you the same thing." <laughs>
1: That's yeah, so funny.
2: It, was, it wasn't popular.
1: Anyways, yeah i guess not i guess he the second his, mind. <laughs>
2: his second day he ran into some gamblers and they went to the track <laughs> so that was audren i mean he, but he, really interesting guy
1: he interesting. knew
2: um well he knew uh oh my god see now who's uh richard wright he knew richard wright and they were very close friends and uh they they made a uh, an agreement that whoever was published first would call their book Native Son. So, hmm. isn't that interesting? <laughs> so, yeah, and, uh Very interesting. Uh, right beat them. So, that's it. I'll
1: that's be a, darned. A, yeah. Is there um, anything else you'd like to add before we finish up?
2: I don't know. I think, uh, thanks very much for having me on. I would like to say that. I, I wish this had been a little bit more humorous. Uh, the <laughs> book is funny. But, I was uh, going to say,
1: you have a lot of humor in your book. Yeah. Great I mean, humor. There's,
2: yeah, there's, there's, it's yeah, so, but uh, I think, you know, I'm glad we talked about writing. I'm glad we talked about uh, how difficult it is to write. I'm glad we talked about how difficult it is to get published. Um and then if there are people out there who are aspiring writers or, you know, I hate the word aspiring. If you're writing, you're writing, you know, if you never get published, there's a good chance I would have never been published, you know, there you so go. I'm, not, I'm not doing it for that, that, that I'm doing it because, um, you know, it helps me to, to understand the world better. And if it's published, hopefully it'll, uh, it helps other people understand the world better too. You know, maybe a world they, they're unaware of, you know, so, exactly. and, uh, uh, and just stay healthy, please. <laughs> yes. You and everybody else. And uh, I'm a respiratory therapist. I'm going to go into work in just about 15 minutes.
1: And you're so, in Pittsburgh now.
2: I'm in Pittsburgh, yeah. Yeah. So I that's what it is. I spent a
1: brief time in Monroeville. <laughs> oh,
2: there, Monroeville, yes, I know of it. I've been there a few uh, yes. times, but I live within the city itself. So Excellent. And, uh, it's, yeah, a cool it's, like it's a cool city. I love it. I've enjoyed living here. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank, and thanks for having me on.
1: Well, it was my pleasure, Bob, and I'm really glad you could be here. Great. So um, uh, before we go, remember everyone to check out the Crime Cafe box set and anthology on my website, debbymack.com. You'll get more than your money's worth if you buy those ebooks. They're great, believe me. The authors who wrote the stories that contributed fantastic stuff. Um, you can also get copies by becoming a Patreon supporter. Uh, just look for the Patreon logo on my website, debbymack.com. And our final show of the regular season is in two weeks. Our guest will be Richard Armstrong. Until then, take care, wash your hands, and happy reading. <laughs>